what are the steps to create safety um, for all learners, regardless of where they are, to manifest, um, you know, their best learning experience? Well, you know, it's, it's Gabor Matei's phrases, that safety is not the absence of threat. It's the, it's the environment or the condition of connection. And that is how you've got to create. And we, I just did it yesterday. Yesterday, yeah, with a, a learner. Um, we've known for a long time, but he hit a wall um, in doing some work. And he said it brought up all those feelings that he had when he was 12 years old. And I said, you know, I'm glad you can tell me that. And we talked about it and we co-regulated and we, we were breathing together. I said, you need to breathe. And he said, I'm sitting here. I said, well, I think you need to walk around. You can still talk to me and walk around. So what it is, is helping people develop an awareness of what they need to feel safe and then doing everything I can to give them what we call cues of safety. Welcome to Bridging to Potential, intergenerational conversations that change the world. This is James Schmidt, founding member of Living to Potential Network's Youth Advisory Council, with a question for you. What happens when you bridge the experience, education, and expertise of an elder with the curiosity, energy, and innate wisdom of a youth? It's simple. Everyone grows and the world changes for the better. One conversation, one connection, one collaboration at a time. Today's podcast is no different. Renee Best connected me with Monica Cochran, who is the founder of Learning Without Borders, an organization which helps people live into their unique talents. I think you will enjoy our conversation about customizing your learning, resilience, and building effective routines. My favorite part of this conversation was when Monica shared how you need to build the routines that work for you and not just the routines that are supposed to work for everyone. Hello, I'm Renee Beth Poindexter, and I am the founder of Living the Potential Network, and I'm your host for this amazing podcast today. After I wrote the book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World, I set out to find spaces where people could actually hear what the youth have to say. And you know what? That's what this podcast is all about. I love these conversations where listening to a youth's aspirations and dreams and concerns we connect them with a mentor that they personally choose to be on a podcast with. And this mentor has the experience and wisdom um, and is open to learning and receiving from the youth as well. So it's reciprocal learning at its best. Now, I always leave these conversations inspired and I think you will too. Today, we have two amazing guests, our mentor, now sometimes we refer to our mentors as elders, but it's really not about age. <laughs> Um, it's my good friend, um, Monica Cochran, and she is in conversation today with James Schmidt, who is a co-founder of the Youth Advisory Council for Living the Potential Network, and he's a psychology student, and is, I think he's going into his third year, but he'll tell you all about it. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Monica um, before we get started. She's very humble, so I'm going to brag about her a little bit. <laughs> she has a master's in education, and she's actually worked with children and parents and other, other adults and a wide variety of, you know, educational uh, and, and actually in hospitals 
and also in business settings for over 40 years. She has been active in alternative education since 1978. And she's homeschooled two of her own children. And these have worked and she has worked with other home educating um, organizations and parents. And actually that's how Monica and I first met. She's been doing that since 1997. So she has a vast experience in um, helping learners of all ages and abilities enjoy learning. And that's why her business is called Learning Without Borders. So without borders, geographically, emotionally, physically, <laughs> mentally, and probably even spiritually. Um, she has quite a, an amazing background, which we'll hear more about today. She's also got a primary Montessori certification for the American Montessori, Montessori Society and is an SSP, Safe and Sound Protocol Practitioner. And it's focus, um, an ILS focus, which is a provider as well as an advanced director development of individual differences and relationship practitioner. Since 1997, she's been following her son's, her youngest son's auto accident, and she has supported survivor, survivors of brain injuries and other health and developmental issues as they redesign their lives. So Monica, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, you have such a wealth of knowledge about learning, neurodiversity, uh, meeting the needs in the state and creating safe environments for learners of all ages. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure and I really appreciate the opportunity and get a chance to talk with James a little bit more too. So yes, Absolutely. thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in reflection of your story um, and what you would like to share today, it's like you've you know, you had your training and then life happened. Yes. And so, you know, part of what you've learned and what you're now sharing is like what you, what you uncovered from your, for yourself through, um, what do they say? Life is what happens when we're making other plans. I think that what was John Lennon, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there, you were living full throttle life at one point, you know, really going for it. And, you know, and, and, and then there was an interruption that occurred that really impacted your ability to really look at learning. And it was not at all what you had learned in school in preparation to be um, a teacher. So tell us a little bit about your experience and how you came to this awareness about learning and all the ways that um, our brain works to support us and you know, uncovering what's most important in the moment. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I think, um it culminated in 97, but there had been a number of smaller situations that um, I can recall graduating from college and, and my getting into education was just, um, it was a bit of a fluke, you know, one of those things, the program I had been in was in child development. And um, I was planning on going to graduate school and getting my PhD and all these things. And then um, the money all got cut. So, you know, there there was no money to go to graduate school in that area at all. So I had a little detour and I got a teaching certificate, never planning to do that. And um, I was went and had a wonderful experience in my undergrad. And, and then I went out in the real world and it was a rude awakening. Mm. Um, this was not what I thought education was going to be. Um, I've had, had some really interesting experiences. So I ran back to graduate school to get a special ed degree, thinking that was going to be the way I'd be able to individualize and work with kids. And then again, same thing, it happened to be the time when behavior modification was very, very big. 
and that wasn't my thing. And so I worked at a psychiatric hospital um, and that they weren't using, they were using some, but again, again, education and learning wasn't, we were low on the totem pole there too. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of one of those things. And that's when I came to Montessori and alternative education in 1978 and said, okay, this is a better fit for me. You know, mm -hmm. this, I'm meeting kids where they are. I can. And then, like I said, I had an opportunity to train teachers. Um, you know, so I, I had lots of different opportunities to see what, but what I learned was we need to use our strengths. One size doesn't fit all. And even small things like working with engineers, like meeting them at the back of the room when they walked in and, and greeting each of them individually made a huge difference in how that day went. Like my goal with engineers was to get them to uncross their arms, right? <laughs> by noon, the first day, I only had three days with them. So I had to be on a time. If I can't get them to uncross, I had to go out and learn about them. I would, I'm not a big sports fan. I would read the sports page the night before. I would, <laughs> you know, look at their business, look at their environment and meet them where they were and made, learn their names and make, make sure that the room they value orderliness. I'd make sure the room was just right. And we never started late. I would get up at 4.30 in the morning, look at yeah. the weather to make sure I could get there. So my, my ideas came at different stages. And then I had a premature baby. You know, holy cow, you want to just turn everything upside down. Right, right. You know, no so that's part of it. It's part of it. It's like the environment of learning, not only in schools and in business, but then being in the situation of being a patient in a hospital, but also I think the story about your son and what yeah, happened absolutely. and what, yeah. what opened up um, this whole idea about learning from an in, from brain injury and then how to, how to redesign your life, how to come back. Yes. So that yeah. kind of built on the knowledge that you were bringing along, but then it took it to a whole nother level. Do you want to speak about that a little bit? I do. And, and that's where I'm kind of grateful for all those little detours, because I already knew that life doesn't always go the way you expect it to. Right. So, you know, um, and all those things you learn about babies and everything. Um, when you have a premature baby, you're not sleeping there, you know, they're not sleeping. Um, so these were all like little things so that this is my piece. You don't learn resilience in the moment. You need these other times to build up because in those, it's not something that you, like, oh, you just handle it so well. We had a lot of support. Uh, my son's accident was quite, I mean, he was very, 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 I mean, he wasn't expected oh, to live yeah. the first day. Well, what happened? And what happened? He, he hit ice. It was black ice and he hit a tree and um, yeah. And he was, and he was 17 years old. Yeah. So it was, it was a big, and it was just at a trajectory time when he was just ready to graduate and go to do things. And he had just gotten a scholarship to do a, a study in Canada where they were going to take an idea from idea to market. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So it was, it was hard and he had to relearn everything. I don't mean just learning. He had to learn to walk and he had to learn to talk and he had to learn all these things. And I was so grateful to have been homeschooling him before, because I really did know how he learned. And so we did do things like when he had to learn had to ride a bike on an exercise bike, we would make up stories about Ann Arbor and, oh, let's pretend we're going down this road and let's go up here. And so I knew the value of of, of stories, you know, and, and mm -hmm. creating and using his interests. Um, his, um, he had been at a gifted and talented program at one point and the school raised money so he could have a, um, 
a laptop. And then the headmaster, who wasn't even going there at the time, we were already homeschooling, loaned him his computer. And, and then someone else found a one-handed keyboard because he couldn't use his left hand. So we had a lot of support. So, you know, this is, these kind of things, this is the value of community too, that you don't get strong by yourself and, and you're not independent. You're like interdependent because people would ask me, what can you do? Go, go research this for me, right? Go do right. this. And we were so, and we, I think I told you the story a while back that um, we had to really figure out what our, what was really, really important, our values. And we weren't going to attack each other when we didn't have enough sleep. So it really took a lot of um, thinking about our thinking, right? And right. learning how to regulate mm -hmm. and co-regulate. And I didn't know the word back then, co-regulate, but that's really what we were doing. You know, we were co-regulate. And I don't mean that we never lost it because we all lose it, right? But we <laughs> always had to go back and repair it, right? right. got to make a repair, um, and, and to be, you know, really candid when you're, when you're spent, you know, I learned that, yes, my daughter might want to go do something, but all I really had energy for was to spoon with her and watch a movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it really did get back to my core. Like what is really important here? How do I make this work for everybody? And I think that importance of connection with whoever you're working with, the idea of everything needs to be meaningful and relevant. And there has to be some idea that people have some choice. Like people wanted to tell Chris what to do all day long. And I'm like, <laughs> no, we have to give him some choices here. Because otherwise, you know what, you know, what are you going to say, right? No, if I have no choices. And then I went through it again with my parents as they went through dementia, same thing. Um, so right. I did learn a lot of these things along the way. Um, and when you asked me those questions, I thought, wow, in many ways, I'm grateful for my experiences because um, I know life doesn't always go as expected right. and learning to, to ride that wave a little bit. And even when you get knocked under, how to come back up again is, is really right. important. Exactly. So what I'm hearing from you, and I know James in a moment is going to dig into a couple of these things, but the idea is you had to put your oxygen mask on first. In other words, your life, you had three kids and one in a serious accident and, you know, and, and who had to rebuild his life. And that yeah. meant everything changed. And so how do you, first of all, you're pretty, uh, you know, learning to ask for help, yeah. learning with the value of learning in community. But the other piece is what I've known about you, Monica, and all the circles we've been in is what you call create a safety. How do you create mm -hmm. safety? And this relates to what you call the term called HALT. Yes. So what are the steps to create safety um, for all learners, regardless of where they are, to manifest um, you know, their best learning experience? Well, you know, it's, it's Gabor Matei's phrase, but safety is not the absence of threat. It's the, it's the environment or the condition of connection. And that is how you've got to create. And we, I just did it yesterday, yesterday, yeah, with a, a learner. Um, we've known him for a long time, but he hit a wall um, in doing some work. And he said it brought up all those feelings that he had when he was 12 years old. And I said, you know, I'm glad you can tell me that. And we talked about it. And we co-regulated and we, breathe, we were breathing together. I said, you need to breathe. And he said, 
I'm sitting here. I said, well, I think you need to walk around. You can still talk to me and walk around. So what it is, is helping people develop an awareness of what they need to feel safe and then doing everything I can to give them what we call cues of safety. And we know our voice is a cue of safety, our, our smile, our face, our eyes, a smile. Um, we want to, that isn't the time to problem solve when they're not safe, you know, and I can tell you, I've made this mistake lots of times, <laughs> you know, you, you want to jump in, you're the mom, you're the teacher, let's solve this problem. And they're just not ready. He wasn't ready to solve it. I just needed to listen for a while. He needed to be able to tell me all the things that were going on. And we had the time to be able to do it. Sometimes you don't, but we did. And I had to be there and, and hear him and give it back. And and sometimes no words are better, but this one, words were okay. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes no words. With little kids, usually no words, right? Just, right. And so then I asked myself, are they hungry? Are they angry? Anxious or angry? Lonely or tired? Halt. And I don't know where I learned it long, long time ago. But that one is, you know, and am I hungry? Am I anxious? <laughs> am I lonely? Am I tired? Um, because the, as an adult, uh, I have to be able to say, am I in a space where I have enough resourcefulness to share? Because, and this is Bruce Perry. He says, you know, the best way to prevent a meltdown is to have a regulated adult. Right. So let's define that for a moment, because we're talking about co-regulation. And I think it's in the context of a lot of people who are talking at, like, for example, people talking at Chris and telling him what to do. And he went, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. You know, we're going to work with Chris, not at Chris, right? Mm -hmm. And give yeah. him some agency, which allowed him to make choices. Right. And then when there's upset or whatever, the co, what does it mean? First of all, what is it? How would you define regulate? And then how would you define co-regulate? Okay. Well, let me put it in a bigger context. So it help. it's part of the polybagel theory. And there's three things that are part of it. One is that we all have this internal sense of what we call neuroception. It's like, it's always telling us, it's always operating under our awareness going, am I safe? Like, like when, when you go to a place new, you're always looking around, right? You're kind of vigilant. And when that neuroception goes off, you do go into a state of fight and flight a little bit. Now we do it in play too. And it's fun because, you know, you mess around and then you look at each other and you laugh and you go on. Right. So that's fun. But we, we drop into what we call fight and flight and that's a survival state. And when we're there, you know, we can't, we don't, we don't have access. This, this is old Dan Siegel's thing. We don't have access to this part in the front. This is our lower part of our brain taking over because if I'm in a dangerous situation, I don't need to look at what color the, the bear is. I need to run or you know, <laughs> if yeah. a car, you know, I need to jump out of the way. I don't need to have possibility thinking. However, for most of the problems we have, we need possibility thinking. So that can go off, that can go askew. So what you do is we co-regulate with ourselves. Like um, I don't have something itchy on, right? I made sure I was comfortable. I have some tea here, right? So, and then we regulate, that's kind of embodied. And then we regulate in our environment. Like I've got some light, I'm not in darkness. Um, and then we regulate with each other. You know, that's in relationship. And so a lot of our schools, we have these fluorescent lights, you know, and there's no windows. Like I was just listening to a podcast today. The woman goes, here she was in the middle of pregnancy to in that examining room there was no lights there was I mean it was stark 
you know, mm-hmm. hospitals aren't designed to promote healing. Right. This is like schools are what's learning, you know, it's like, we're going to school you, but what about learning? I mean, there's all these distinctions. And I have to say that, you know, we've been on this track for a long time, you and I, and here it is, we're in 2023, for goodness sakes, right? So this opportunity, and I really want to bring James in because he has a story about his own learning journey. And, you know, the opportunity um, to have him share what his environment was like. And, you know, James, this is James Schmidt. He's coming to us from Salem, Oregon. Are you in your third year of psychology right now, James? Where are you? I believe it's either my uh, third or fourth year. I've, I don't quite remember off the top of my head. (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit about your learning journey, you know, um, because this sets a stage for, you know, Monica has been working with uh, learners who learn differently and you were one of those people. And yet, you are one of the brightest people I've met in terms of, um, you know, whatever label people, we talked about this before, you know, the idea is like, James is the person who helps me manage risk in our environment. He looks at documents and says, we need to change these word choices. You know, he is um, in the driver's seat of his um, owning his strengths and talent in a powerful way. And I'm so excited, James, that you're studying psychology because there's a reason for that. For so yeah. tell us a little bit about your experience of learning and where why you've chosen psychology as your career path right now. Well, um, I was diagnosed with uh, autism at an early age, I believe uh, the age of three. And that's been, and that knowledge has been uh, something that has been very important uh, throughout my life journey. Um, when I was uh, fairly young, my parents pulled me out of uh, public school because they um, found that the teacher, uh, when I was in kindergarten, um, actually uh, told me not to read to the other kids because it was making them feel bad <laughs> that they couldn't also read because we were all very young and most kids my age couldn't read. I Um, I've always had just this gift for reading. And so they thought that that was, that telling me not to read to the other kids was not a good way of going about things. (laughs) And uh, they also, both of them also had um, fairly negative experiences with the public school system uh, when they were children as well. So this sort of, solidified and sort of catalyzed their decision to um, search for other options. And eventually they settled on homeschooling. And uh, we eventually found a nice homeschool co-op called Village Home uh, that I took classes at. I took classes there for, my gosh, I think it was from when I was seven to when I was 18 or so. Wow, that's great. I, uh, um, my, uh, my birthday is um, pretty far in the year. So um, my senior year was when I was 18. And that has been, I think, 
you know, it's hard to know if it's been the number one most positive experience in my life, but it's definitely up there. It's definitely right. one of the best experiences I've had in my life awesome. because I was around uh, a bunch of other uh, learners and uh, children who were also, who also did not fit the mold of traditional education. And I was um, taken care of and um, taught by educators who didn't feel the need to fit us into the mold of traditional education. You know, they uh, taught us and guided us to um, regulate ourselves so that we weren't disruptive to the other learners without feeling the need to actually fit us into this one specific mold yeah. of yeah. education. Yeah. For example, um, they didn't, you know, they never told me that you're not allowed to pace in my class. I just had to, you know, pace in the back of the class where I wasn't in the sideline, where I wasn't constantly pulling attention away. Mm -hmm. you know, there are ways to accommodate, you know, different neurodivergent needs without having to make them not neurodivergent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, one of the things, uh, just two things I want you to share. I'm not sure if Monica has heard this about you, but one of the things that you did to really clarify the capacity to communicate with people you came up with the translation matrix and uh, yeah and I think there's also this relationship to the number of plays that you were in in terms of as, a, as an actor mm -hmm. where you actually had to play the part of other people that how you know anyway tell me I don't want to talk about the psychology of it for you but uh, you know those two things coming together and now that you're studying psychology and what you want to do with it it's just so interesting to look at it like how this all started and has been building on itself over the years. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, I, I have been uh, very involved uh, with theater throughout um, most all of my conscious life. And um, it's one of the things that really helped me uh, in learning how to regulate my autism is because uh, all of the I was following a script, I knew what was going to happen and right. when it was going to happen. And I used to have a lot of difficulty uh, speaking uh, because I would be frustrated with the way my sentences were laid out and I would stop and restart in the middle of the sentence before I finished my point. And reading from a script allowed me to practice speaking and allowed me to practice um, making sentences without needing to worry if I was doing it right or not. Because mm -hmm. of course I was doing it right. I'm supposed right. to read what's on the page. Yeah, exactly. And the sort of awareness you need to have of your body language and what you're doing and and what you're you know, portraying uh, for the sake of acting also proved very helpful for learning how to you know, regulate my autism and have better uh, motor control 
as well as um, learning how to um, sort of veil aspects of that, of my autism when I'm in less accepting environments. And lastly, theater also helped me immensely in learning how people worked because mm -hmm. I had a lot of difficulty figuring out why people were thinking and feeling what they were, um, why people were feeling what they were feeling. Mm -hmm. And the exploration of characters that you do yeah. in plays really helped give me a head start and helped give me even just a place to start mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what um, helped me in uh, creating what I call my translation matrix. Mm -hmm. And that's the term, and my translation matrix is the term I give to the collection of knowledge that I've built up over the years um, about how people work and what, what they mean um, and how what they say relates to what they mean. For example, <laughs> if somebody says, hey, uh, are you free uh, to head to a party this afternoon or help me um, clean off the uh, kitchen table this afternoon? they actually mean, please help me do these things or please uh, go with me to this event. Whereas in my mind, initially, it's like, oh, yes, I am. And then I don't uh, get the whole signal of like, and then I'll just, you know, uh, sit in a chair and not realize that I'm supposed to uh, get up and help them uh, <laughs> or go to uh, this event. And so that's one of the um, important aspects of my translation right. matrix. Yeah, exactly. As well as um, learning, as well as um, learning that uh, your pre-existing relationship with a person uh, greatly shapes your uh, interactions with that person. Right. And exactly. there are certain uh, things that there are certain behaviors uh, that um, people will uh, do with their um, significant other, like referring to them by a pet name or <laughs> a fun nickname between friends uh, that wouldn't be appropriate for me to do mm -hmm. um, because I don't have that relationship with right. them. Exactly. Right. And that's not, and that's very obvious once you know uh, why it happens, right. but I didn't initially know that. I right, had to right. learn that. Right, right. So that's just a few right. of the things. That that's I awesome. Right. Makes. So I when I heard that you're going to school and you know going into psychology and how to absolutely um, perhaps create a practice to help people understand neurodiversity and different approaches to learning, you know, and I thought, well, you and Monica are just going to spiral <laughs> up because that's what her life has been dedicated to. So um, I'm going to just say, you know, this idea of, um, you can talk a little more about Monica, you probably heard a lot of what James had to say, but there's also some tools that you've used 
to help people really um, own their learning from mm -hmm. an authentic place, you know, powerfully. So I turn it over to you. What comments do you have for James? And James, what questions do you have for Monica? Oh, I, I loved your story, James. And it, it just shows what the value of agency and what we were talking about, that climate of safety that's nurturing your gifts and your strengths and your talents. Because really, your talents and investment equal your strengths, right? And so when you combine those, your strengths, your analytical mind, your ability to predict things and want, you know, to be able to predict and, and take that with your interests, then it's a very powerful combination, right? Because then the learning is meaningful. And then the fact that you got to choose what you were learning, you know, that gave you that agency in a way that worked for you, but didn't interfere with anybody else. And that's what we Definitely. hear all the time. Oh, I can't do that. If we did that for everybody. It would be, well, it wasn't chaos. You found ways to accommodate what I call your need for movement, right? And the teacher, the facilitator said, okay, James needs to move and other people need to be able to interact here. How about moving over there, right? So you could move when you needed to. And that whole thing about reading just cracks me up. Really? The fact that somebody could do something means less to somebody else? No, everybody's growing at their own rate. It's so valuable when somebody who can read reads to someone who can't yet. See, that word yet is the one they were missing. Right. Right? Because, you know, and we had the same thing happen with my, my, the one who was in the accident. He went to school and could read, right? Oh, he can, yeah, he could read. When he, I don't know when he learned to read because he could. But he went and he could add, add and subtract and multiply and divide. They just let him go down to the library, right? They just said, you go down there and do what you want. You know, on the other end, my daughter was the third kid. She wasn't the least bit interested in showing the teacher what she knew. The teacher called me and said, do you know your daughter knows how to read? I said, uh, yeah. I caught her. I caught her reading to someone out in the, out in the um, hallway. I was like... Okay, <laughs> I'm not sure quite how this is a problem, but okay. Um, so it really is, you get all these funny stories now that they're grown and everything. That's one of the funnier ones, right? But um, she knew how to read and I knew she knew how to read. And she basically, at that point in first grade, I guess it was first grade, because she only went there for a year. Um, that was her social place. She'd come home Tuesday with a list of things she was going to do that weekend. People to call, you know, you know, this was, and, I, and she brought home her stuff, you know, but we knew she was learning. I wasn't worried about that part, but we ended up having to leave. It, it really was, you know, it wasn't a good match. It wasn't a good fit after first grade. We went back. She was in Montessori before we went back to the Montessori school one day. And she said, I, I feel at home here. I feel at home. I said, me too. <laughs> so I mean, you think Monica, you're making a good point about um, observing learning. And yeah. witnessing what our you what our children and grandchildren and students are teaching us about their inner process, and then yeah. the opportunity what you've been doing with learning without borders and what James is talking about that they got at Village Home was actually facilitating the personal learning, yes, and empowering that as opposed to you know just being grouped together and say okay we're moving on this conveyor belt and everybody's going to do this at this time right. You've been working with parents and teachers and young people to trust 
that they have a natural unfolding approach, right? And that is yeah. so powerful. So your daughter that you could see in her learning strategy, <laughs> but the teacher was missing it. Yeah. And I just fast forward to what is your daughter doing today? And what were the signs, what those clues that she was miss social, you know? Well, does that relate to what she's doing today? Well, it does. It does. Um, well, she really loved kids and she did the babysitting course for the Red Cross and she read the Babysitter Club books. That was the, the series that turned right. her into right. you know, a fluent reader. And she became a nanny. She went to college. Awesome. Um, yeah. She um, majors in child development. Um, but after, you know, she was there a couple, three years until I've, I've had enough. And we said, well, you have to either just, you know, declare a major or, you know, we're kind of done for now, but, and so she's, <laughs> she's been a nanny for a family and uh, there's lots of stories. She's been nanny for a couple of families over, but one very long, but um, actually when she stopped going to school, we said, well, she said, well, I'm just going to get a job as a full-time nanny, not just a part-time nanny. So she put herself an ad in Craigslist alternative nanny. And so she um, interviewed with somebody who turned out was running a um, it was a homeschooling mom who was opening up a, a charter school. And she said, oh, I think, you know, full disclosure here, I think you know my mom. <laughs> so, but she, and we turned out to know each other. And so she was with that family for a couple of summers. And then she taught art or something at the charter school. And then she um, went yeah. on to another family. Yeah. But yeah, you said, does she? Yeah. And at the same time, um, she's now also doing some very detailed work. Um, for a company, but again, it's it's that ability to learn to do something new. Because her, she decided during the pandemic she did not want to take a new family on, and her family's aging out, and so she learned something that I never would have expected her to learn. Yeah, right. She's now a, but, she's a data analyst part time. I would have awesome. never thought she would analyze yeah. data. Well, this comes to your, you know, and I, you and James had this conversation around strengths, and yes. you mentioned. Um, you know, when, when you create meaning for your learning, it's because you're, you're taking this opportunity of um, investing in your talent to develop mm -hmm. it into a strength. And um, did you want to share a little bit about that, James? Cause you've, you know, you've learned a little bit about strength. I, I think it's interesting that um, one of that my analytical strengths is actually my third strongest um, instead of my first strongest. I found that I, I tend to think of myself as a very analytical person. That's a big part of my self-perception. But something that, you know, um, the people around me keep reminding me of and that, you know, my life keeps reminding me of is that I'm actually a lot more of a feeler than a thinker or than mm -hmm. I think I might think I am. Yeah. Sorry, that got a bit muddled. <laughs> um, but that I also have a lot of social strengths as mm -hmm. well. And that I'm not just some cold calculating machine or I mean, I don't <laughs> think that about myself, but you know what I mean, that I have that I am better at interacting with people than I think I am. I'm really excited to uh, hear any 
um, advice or any insight you have uh, regarding my strengths. If you liked what you heard and want to listen to the rest of this incredible conversation, you can do so by visiting livingthepotential.com forward slash membership and create a completely and forever free account with us. And if you're interested, check out the first two chapters of Renee Beth's book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World, which you can also find at livingthepotential.com forward slash book. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.